If you haven't experienced snow, coming to the Snowflake Ball, highly encourage you to do it next year to help uh, serve and just be a part of what God is doing and really showing love um, to a group of people that oftentimes get looked over. So uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then um, we'll dive on in. So Heavenly Father, I just thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for all of us that got up uh, early, that we were we remembered that uh, the set our clocks forward and that we can be here at the 9 o'clock service. And so, Lord, I just pray as we dive into your word that you um, will illuminate it for us, Lord, that we will be able to um, take something from um, Ephesians 5 and really apply it to our life, that we can walk out of here changed than how we came in. And so, Lord, um, I just lift this up to you in essence in Jesus' name. Amen. So my name is Kevin Boyle. I am the director of student ministries, which means I get to hang out with 6th grade through 12th grade. And I'm super excited to be able to preach to you uh, this Sunday. And so this is also Ridgewood's way of letting you know that if you haven't seen a dentist since the last time I preached, that you should probably schedule that. Uh, it was about six months ago. And you're also overdue for an oil change if you're like me that haven't had an oil change. So, um, but in all seriousness, Paul and Neil are leading a trip to Israel. Um, so if you want to keep them in your prayers uh, for their team, they had kind of a, a fun journey to get there with all the snow and everything, um, but also to be praying for them that this will be a time that God will just use to really um, bring alive uh, Scripture, right, as they're walking where Jesus walked, but then also that this will just be a moment where God speaks to them. And so I'm going to pray for them, um, and then we will continue on. So. Heavenly Father, I just pray for our, our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in Israel right now, Lord. I pray that as they um, are probably eating dinner or just finishing up dinner over there, um, that it will be a time that they will never forget. That it will be um, that you will, as they dig in the scripture and they see the places where you, where you walked, Lord, that, they, uh, that that will just come off and jump off the page for them. That it will be a time that they'll never forget. That it will be a time that will just... Um, light a fire for them so that when they come back that they are willing to just live uh, with all abandon for you, Lord. That they will come and just um, tell us about what they've seen, what they've experienced and how um, they can inspire us as well to live the way that you lived. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today I'm going to be talking about Are You Contagious? And um, I have three little kids, five and under, and so my oldest, Kirby, just turned five in February, and then I have a daughter, Millie, who will turn four in April, and I have an 18-month-old who um, is a handful. And so as you can imagine, uh, our house is a little busy. Uh, My wife is a saint uh, for what she puts up with and how uh, I thank God every day of how she brought, or he brought her into my life and just the way that she... um, stays at home with the kids, uh, it's beyond, I look at that and I'm just like, I can never do that. Um, and so just her patient level and everything. And so, um, also, as you can imagine with little kids, there's a lot of sickness and a lot of germs that come through our house. Um, I believe that we've had, we've had someone sick in our house since October, uh, and it's still going. Um, so I'll let you know when that ends. And we've, we've kind of run a few rounds with the flu, like most of you. I know some of you have kind of gone the distance, right, the whole boxing term, kind of all 12 rounds with the flu. Uh, so it's not, it's been a rough year, right, with, with colds and sickness, to say the least. And it's not, it isn't hard to see that, because wherever you go, 
there's signs and symptoms everywhere you go. For our family, it's kind of the mucus flowing out of the nose, um, which my three-year-old this year calls it tissue sauce. Um, and so she uh, came up with that term at about 3 a.m. when she woke us up to let us know that she has tissue sauce, um, in which case my wife and I kind of looked at her like, what are you talking about? But it didn't take us long to realize that she had all kinds of mess all over her face. Um, but we also have, you know, the coughing, the sneezing, the aching, the stuffy head, basically all the stuff that DayQuil covers. But you also have the Pepto-Bismol stuff, the diarrhea, you know, the upset stomach, which Willie Robertson told us that diarrhea is kind of the one symptom that you just have to tell someone and, like, there's no other questions asked. Like, just you leave that one alone, um, right? So kind of with the sickness. And so as we kind of get into this idea of uh, are you sick um, and, and with kind of the symptoms, we know that the symptoms tell us that you're contagious. Many of us are probably familiar with Pink, who sang the national anthem at this year's Super Bowl. She had a daughter who coughed in her face uh, just days before singing the national anthem. And surprise, she ended up getting sick because of the symptom. We know that we are contagious. And so she almost ended up dropping out of singing the national anthem because she could almost not even sing uh, because of how sick she got. And so my question for you today is, are you contagious? Um, and so that's what we're going to kind of dive into. And so when we look at this idea of are you contagious, um, that brings us to uh, our, our verses for today, which is Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And so in page uh, 978 in your pew in front of you, and this is what it says. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, when we think of this verse, um, I love Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. I love it. And when Paul asked me to preach and he said that he, it could be on anything because I think he, he really wants to kind of put the exclamation point on Joseph um, when he gets back. So I'm excited for that ser- series finale. But he said that I could preach on anything. I really kind of thought about um, several verses that came to mind. And this one really came to the forefront. I love it. And I hope that this, and the reason why, to kind of have a couple puns for you, is I really believe that this is a congested verse. And so I hope that as we dive in and let this verse incubate for you, and that it will infect your life. Okay, so I'm done with those. Those are partly my wife. She's like, you got to throw these in there. And I was like, fine, I will. Um, But as we look at this verse, we see the word, therefore. And that is a huge indicator that we should probably understand why the therefore, what it's there for, right? And so we're supposed to look back. And so kind of some of the context that we we find ourselves in is that Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, and he probably wrote it from a prison cell um, in Rome. And so he wrote it uh, to Ephesians, to the, the church of Ephesus, which was a port city in Asia Minor, and so it was a major cap, not a capital city, but it was, it was a major city. It was very political. It was a, um, very important. Uh, we, find, we know that Cleopatra and Mark Anthony were actually there just not that long before it was actually written. Um, and so it was a major city. 
And scholars actually believe that the, the book of Ephesians was Paul wrote this letter intending that it would be circulated among other churches around it. And so it wasn't just for Ephesians, even though that's what it went to and it carries the name of Ephesians, but it was meant to be shared. And uh, one pastor, Tim Mackey, says that the book of Ephesians is where, God, is where Paul shares the entire gospel story and how it should reshape our lives. And so as we look at how it reshapes our life, because we're going to be kind of in the later part of Ephesians, and so the beginning part is Paul sharing the gospel story, and then it starts to transition to how we as Christians, as we as believers should, uh, how that should impact us. And so that's kind of where we find um, the context. And so looking at, that brings us to Ephesians 4:17. And so um, if you want to open that up, you can, but I actually have a slide for you that I'm going to put up, because Paul's talking about um, this new self in Christ. And so he lays out the old self and, he, and the new self. And so I laid this out for you in kind of keeping with the theme. We have a head condition, a heart condition, and then symptoms uh, for both. And so you see on there that the head condition is the futility of your mind. And we see this played out today, and a lot of times um, people have, are almost hostile to Christians, and they kind of look at and say, like, well, if you're a Christian, that means you're probably weak, or that you just need a crutch to get by, or you're unenlightened, or you're bigoted, you're arrogant, you're judgmental, or whatever insult you really want to put in there. Uh, and so they don't understand Christians. They don't understand Christianity. They, don't, they haven't really, um, as, as Paul would say, they haven't renewed their mind, right? That's one of the conditions, the head condition of a new self, putting on this new self, that we are to renew our minds. 1 Corinthians 2 says that we should have the mind of Christ. And so that's very different than of the old self. And then you also have the heart condition, uh, which in Ephesians 4 it talks about that they have a hardness of heart and something that I condense down to degenerate practices with a hunger for more or lust for more. Uh, and what I mean by that is basically as we look at culture and we look at society, constantly they are kind of pushing the boundaries of what um, we kind of look at of just like, I can't believe that that's what's, what they're doing. Um, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, you wouldn't even imagine some of the things that are acceptable uh, today. And so it's, it's really a rebellion against God. It's really what it is. The heart condition is a rebellion against God. And on the new self, you see righteousness, which um, I kind of think of that as being right in God's eyes, so doing what's right in God's eyes, and holiness, which is set-apart behavior to honor God. And you can see the, the different symptoms, and I kind of changed a couple, um, you know, mean-spirited, because we don't really use the word malice anymore, um, you know, whiny gossip um, of the old self, and then in the new self, you know, speaks the truth, deals with anger, integrity, uh, talks that builds up and encourages, uh, tender-hearted, and then it leads us to the last one down there that's um, this is what Paul transitions to Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 with. And it says, uh, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as, Christ in, in, as God in Christ forgave you. And so Paul is establishing here that there are signs and symptoms of the old self and of the new self. And this is kind of the background that we find Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And so I'm going to go kind of just take verse 1 and then verse 2. And so the first verse says this. 
again. So therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And I'm gonna, there's several questions that really kind of come to mind. Uh, what does it mean to imitate God? What does that look like? Why as beloved children? And so I'm going to actually answer those questions starting with the last, because that's just biblical, right? The last should be first. Um, but also it flows better for what I'm saying. Um, and so I have a video that I'm going to show you, and it's from Right Now Media. And if you are not on Right Now Media, I highly encourage you to sign up. It's a tool that we are giving uh, to you, providing for you. And it's got thousands of Bible studies. It's got uh, stuff for little kids, veggie tales, and, and great stuff for the kids, but also for the students, for adults, uh, women's ministry, men's ministry, leadership, um, all kinds of different topics that are covered in there. It's got videos, it's got illustrations, um, it's got a ton. And so I encourage you to check it out if you haven't already. And we're going to watch a video uh, called Follow, which really, I think, uh, kind of talks to this idea of as beloved children.
So I love that video, and, and as a dad, it's probably easy to see why. Um, it just kind of hits me, and obviously it's talking about legacy and following um, and, and just the model that we set. And as parents of kids, I want to encourage you that they are watching. Um, even as a young age, they are watching what you do. And it's something that, you know, research has shown us over and over and over that parents are the greatest influence in their kid's life. And that's what Scripture has told us from the very beginning, that parents are the greatest influence. And in an ideal setting, you are the best uh, discipler of your children. And that's to take that call seriously. Um, for us, at, at Rachel and I, we, um, we do devotions at night with our kids. And so every night, um, we read a story out of, out of their Bible. And then we pray with them. And it's hard. And there's nights where, there's some nights that we just want to kind of throw them in bed and just kind of say, like, I will deal with you tomorrow. You're my, you know, God's mercies are new every morning and we'll deal with it then. Um, but knowing that we take seriously that we model this, that we want to be in God's word. And so we read a story and, and I would be lying if I said that we haven't missed a single night and it's, Remember, that's on the old self, and so confession. But about 95% of the time that Rachel or I read a story. And I will never forget the moment walking down the hall, and I see uh, Millie, my almost four-year-old. She's in her room, and she's got her pink little princess Bible. And she's got all of her stuffed animals sitting attentively, and she's telling the story of Jonah to her stuffed animals. And then she prays for them. And and, I remember, and it kind of hit me, and I was like, wow, like, this just reinforces that idea that they model what they see, right? And they're watching how my wife and I do things. And on the same, the opposite is true as well. And I don't think there's anything more humbling when you see your son or daughter acting or doing something negatively how you would do it, right? And you kind of look at your spouse, and you're like, is that what I look like? And they kind of look and give you a shake, uh, head, like, yes. Except for you look more foolish because you're an adult male or adult that does that. Um, and so I want to just encourage you that, our, that we are contagious. As parents, you're contagious. Your kids are watching you. And I want to speak to the, the parents of, of teenagers in the room or young adults, that they are still watching you. And even though I know that times can get tense, right? And you even see in the video that there's an argument and as as teens are trying to navigate this idea of moving from dependence on you to independence, right? Going from childhood to adulthood. Their brains are developing. They're experiencing emotions that they've never experienced before. There's all kinds of things going on in the life of an adolescent. And a lot of times there's tension with parents. And I want to encourage you that they are still watching you and that they love you and that they're still listening, um, even though they don't always express it, or they might not use words, um, and they might just more so grunt. Um, they are still watching you. And, and for those of you who aren't parents or your, parent, your kids are all grown up, you're not up the hook either, because our young kids, our students, are watching you as well. And as they're trying to figure out this whole Jesus thing and whether or not they believe it or not, they're watching you as well. Do you live the life that Scripture says that we are to live? Do they see evidence in your life? 
as they come to church, they kind of accept that their parents are weird or different or whatever, but they're looking for other people too. Are my parents just weird? Is my family just the only one? Are there people who actually believe this? Is there pe- are there people that are full of joy and living a life that's captivating? They're looking for that. They're looking towards you. And this isn't just for children and young people. This is also for, believer, for non-believers, for your co-workers, your family members, your neighbors. If they know that you're a Christian, they're watching you to see, do you react the same way that everyone else does, or do you live the principles that Christ has laid out for us to follow? And so I encourage you that our lives matter and that people are watching us. Um, and so, as we are to imitate God as dearly children, it's one of the things I want to touch on quickly and, and not dive super deep in, but we are all sons and daughters of God. And we are to watch Him. We are to do as He did, just like in the video, that we are to follow as Christ followed. We are to imitate our Father as a child imitates their father or their mother. And so, and, and also including, uh, just thinking about this idea of, of imitating God, I just want to clarify one thing that John, in John 14:9, Jesus says that I, if you, whoever has seen me has seen the Father, and so I'm going to use Jesus and God kind of interchangeably, and that's because when we look at Jesus' life, we have also seen the character of God, right? We've seen the Father. And so when I think about Jesus, I think about someone, I think there's many things that come to mind about who Jesus was and how he lived his life. But for our purposes and for kind of what I'm talking about today, Jesus was captivating. He was contagious. Uh, And I have a slide that's going to come up that has six different examples um, where where someone risked risked something to get to Jesus. And the first one, uh, four men carrying uh, their paralyzed friend from Mark 2. Uh, I'm going to start with this one, firstly, because students and teens are, on, are really close to my heart. And if this isn't a story that sums up adolescent behavior, I'm not exactly sure what other example we have. And the reason for this is uh, you have four guys, and it doesn't tell us that they're adolescents, but I'll kind of unpack why I think that in a second. But they have a friend who's paralyzed. And what they know is that to get him healed, they have to get him to Jesus. And so they, they carry him on a mat, and they, they go to the house that Jesus is at, but they can't get in because it's packed. It's packed, and they can't get in. Which, why? Because Jesus is a captivating person. People flocked to him. They wanted to see. There was something about him that was different. And so they didn't just leave it at that. They said, we've got to get our friend to Jesus. So they come up with this idea. We will lower him through the roof to Jesus. That's a bold move. What makes this where I think that they're adolescents is the fact that Scripture tells us they removed the roof. There wasn't a hole already there. And so they go to someone's house, and all they know is that they've got to get their friend to Jesus. And so, I don't know this for a fact, but they just start digging, right? Putting a hole in someone's house. They don't think about, I mean, possibly killing someone, maybe even Jesus, right? Uh... And then lowering him in there, they don't think about that the person who owned the house probably didn't want a skylight in their house. And so they could possibly go to jail, 
right? Just, I mean, it, it just reeks of adolescent behavior of not having a fully developed brain where that they fully think through the consequences of their actions, right? But they risk a lot for Jesus, to get to Jesus. And then we have the story of Nicodemus, who was part of the 71 members of the Sanhedrin, right? The Jewish elders of the faith. And it says that he came into the cover of darkness, which right there tells us that he had something to lose. But he still came because he had a reputation. He had power. He had a position. All of that could be lost depending on what people saw or heard about him. And so he came to Jesus and he risked that all because he was captivated by him. And there's some other stories that I'm not going to necessarily dive into. And it's really easy to say, well, yes, Jesus was captivating. He was the son of God. Yes, he was. He did miracles. He did healings. That would, that would draw a crowd. You're correct. It would. But there's also stories of people that didn't just come to get healed, right? We have Nicodemus and Zacchaeus. A wee little man climbs up a sycamore tree. What does he, what does he risk? Humiliation. There was no other rabbi that would have even paid him a, any moment of their attention because he was a tax collector. But yet he risked that to get to Jesus, right? The feeding uh, the thousands. You have families who followed Jesus for days his teachings without shelter, without food, because they were captivated by Jesus. And so what was so captivating about Jesus? And that's where we find our answer in verse 2, which says this. That we are to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We are to walk in love. And this isn't kind of your Hollywood love, right? This is a deep love. The Greek word that's used here is agape. And how I heard this love described was self-sacrificing, other-orientated love. And so this is a love where Jesus walked in a way that he put the needs of other people before himself. And he did it in a, in a world, and just like ours, where love tells us, our world tells us to do what feels good. To do what makes you feel good about yourself. Find something that brings gratification, right? It's a very selfish world. It's very all about seeking what's best for you. And Jesus walked completely differently. And he showed love to people that were desperately seeking for something. And he, his light was so bright that he drew people in because he treated people differently than the rest of the world. And then, as we see, as Christ loved us, and that doesn't mean that he stopped loving us, what it's referring to is that the ultimate example of this agape love is Jesus going to the cross, where he sacrificed himself. Right? And so we have Jesus, who is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God himself, putting the needs of others, right? We needed a Savior. And so he foregoed the honor and the glory that he deserves, that he came into this world, he humbled himself to come into this world as a baby, to live a 
perfect, sinless life to only be mocked and betrayed and tortured. And how did he respond? With love. Agape love. Self-sacrificing love. So much so that he endured one of the most awful, malicious methods of torture, intimidation, and execution ever created in the Roman crucifixion. And he did it for the people that sent him there. Us. To the sinners. Because Romans tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That there isn't anyone in here that hasn't sinned. And anyone who's ever lived besides Jesus has sinned. We've all put Jesus on the cross. And he went there for us. He put our needs for a Savior above the glory and honor that he has deserved. And that is our example. That is who we are to walk as. And so we see that love. And so asking the question, what would our relationships look like if we walked the way Christ did? What would it look like in your families? What would it look like in your neighborhood, in your co-workers' lives, if you walked with this kind of love? And so we are to walk as Jesus walked, with the cross being the ultimate example of that love. I have a story, a, a parent told me this story about a week ago of a girl who, this is a, a middle school girl, who one of her oldest friends purposely didn't invite her to an event that they were doing. She invited all of her other friends, but not her. Ouch. That hurts. That would hurt me as a 32-year-old, let alone a middle schooler. And the mom told me, she's like, I just want you to know that what you're doing and what you're teaching these kids is starting to take root. And it's not me, it's what God's doing in her life. Because she responded to her mom that we need to give grace and we need to forgive. And that's a middle schooler who responded that way. Um, And just thinking about how that changes our life, how it changes the way we interact with people. How would your relationships with your family look different if we were to not ask the question, what do I get from them, but how can I give you, right? Our world is always asking, you know, how do we keep up with the Joneses, right? Popular saying. But what if by following Christ we ask the question, what can we do for the Joneses? How can we extend them love and grace and forgiveness? How would that look different in your relationships with your coworkers, your family members, right? Your roommates, your spouse, extending grace and forgiveness and not asking what can you give me, but what can I give you? I think that would radically change how we live and how the world would view us. I think that that would make us contagious. So my question for you that I started at the beginning is, are you contagious? And the answer is yes, you are contagious. All of us have symptoms, whether it's the old self or the new self. We're all displaying symptoms which make us contagious. The question is, are you contagious for Christ or are you contagious for something else? And as I was preparing this message, I was very much uh, convicted of some of the things in my life that I've been selfish 
and as you kind of the old life, one of the things that I would uh, kind of, one of the words that I would use to describe the old self is selfish, right? Wanting worldly desires and thinking about, am I contagious for Christ? And to confess to you that in some areas I'm not, right? That I still hold out, that I still have some desires that I want that are not of God, right? That are things that I say, I want Christ, but I also want this. And what I say to you is that what, what, what kind of, as I was praying and thinking about this, that it comes down to the question, is Christ enough? Is Christ enough? Do you trust that the life that Jesus has for you, the plan that he has for you, when he comes and he says that I've come to give you life and I've come to give you life in full, do you trust that? Or do you think that you can have, you, you just want to hold on to something over here? I want Christ and I want all that comes with it, the eternity, the salvation, the forgiveness. I like that part, but I also like money. Or I also like comfort. Or I also like security. I also like retirement. I like a cabin life. I like Maseratis or a Tesla. Or if you're Paul, who has his boat envy. I want a boat, right? Or I want this image. Or I want a plane. I want, um, you know, so many likes on my social media. I want whatever it might be for you that we're holding out of saying, you know what, I like Christ, but I want this as well. And so I'm going to invite the, the band to come up, and I've asked them to, to lead a song, and it's called Christ is Enough. And what I would like you to do is to think through what it is in your life that might be holding you back from simply saying, Christ, you are enough. That I don't need this other thing. I don't need this other worldly desire. I don't need this other selfish thing for me. But simply, I'm going to trust that the plan that you have for me, the thing that you have for me, is enough. And as we sing this song, part of the bridge, um, and I love the words, and it simply says, I've decided to follow Christ. No turning back, no turning back. And it repeats. And then it goes to the part of the cross before me, the world behind, no turning back, no turning back. And my prayer is that this could be an anthem for Ridgewood Church. That we could be contagious for Christ and simply saying that we decide to follow Christ, that we decide to walk as he walked, to walk in agape love, self-sacrificing, focused on others and not ourselves, and that we can lay our worldly desires at the cross, the cross before me and the world behind. And that we can sing that as a church and that this church could become contagious for Christ.